Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate Team Mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hi, everyone. How are you? I missed you last week. Well, that's not true. (laughs) I loved taking a week off. It's nice to take a week off the podcast, but I did miss, you know, putting out an episode and getting feedback. Feedback seems like a weird word for that, but like comments on my Instagram about the episode that I missed. Anyway, we're back and it's been a slow two weeks in Teen Mom World. Nothing has really happened since those Amber tapes came out. Um, I did see Without a Crystal Ball, Katie Joy, that's her name, right? Katie Joy, yeah, uh, did post an interview with the woman who bailed Amber out. Her name is Rhonda. She worked for Amber and Andrew uh, Rhonda is trying to get her bail money back because I guess basically she bailed her out on the understanding that she would then be paid back the bail money, which isn't, you know, unreasonable. Like if I had a friend or an employer or whatever, let's say my employer got arrested. I'm laughing because it's just crazy. Um, but my boss got arrested and for whatever reason, none of their family could bail them out. And they said, hey, can you put up $2,000 for me to bail me out? Like, I would because I know my boss is wealthy and has the money to pay me back. Now, that would never happen to me, but I guess never say never. But just thinking of, like, my current job, that that wouldn't happen. There would be about 7,000 people for either of my bosses to call before they got to me. But I'd be like, yeah, sure, because, you know, I work for lawyers. They're quite wealthy I would put the money up. I would imagine that Rhonda felt similarly, like Amber is a wealthy person. I think Amber is somebody that probably goes, has moments of being broke when she spends all her MTV money is waiting on a new paycheck. But I would imagine from an outsider's perspective, she seems like somebody that is wealthy. I mean, she's on a television show. This woman said she saw her spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So I would imagine that she felt comfortable enough putting up $2,000, which is a lot of money. Like, <laughs> I don't have $2,000 to put up and not get paid back, basically. Um, but she has the money to put up. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Amber, I guess, isn't paying her back. Sorry, I just lost where I was. Amber, I guess, isn't paying her back. Rhonda has asked for the bail money to be returned. That was denied. Um, Amber should pay her back, of course. Sean... Bubby, Amber's brother, was going on and on on Twitter about how this woman was a liar and she didn't actually pay the bail money. And it's like, Sean, this woman's fucking name is on the court documents. (laughs) He's like, I know for a fact that Amber bailed herself out and my mother went to go pick her up and blah, 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 which wasn't true because there are court documents backing up that this Rhonda woman bailed her out since Amber got bailed out is reported that a female friend bailed her out. 
I don't know why Amber wasn't able to bail herself out of jail. I'm not really sure how that works. Um, I'm not sure, like, why Tanya wasn't able to talk to a bail bondsman and get, I don't know. I, I don't really know how, I would say bail is one of, like, a blank spot for me, even though, as you guys all know, like, a decent amount about the criminal justice system. I've witnessed people getting bailed out, but I've never bailed anybody out personally. It also really greatly depends by state. I also watched a lot of hours of Dog the Bounty Hunter back in the day. Before it came out, that dog, the bounty hunter, was like, remember those tapes that came out and he was, like, really racist and saying the N-word all the time? Yeah, I don't really fuck with dog, the bounty hunter anymore. Although it was, like, kind of sad that Beth recently died. Like, that is sad. (laughs) But I've watched a lot of dog, the bounty hunter, but I still am not 100% sure how bail bonds work. So I don't want to speak to that on why Amber couldn't just bail herself out. But this Rhonda woman gave an interview. She said that Amber was a horrible boss, that she wasn't connected with James. Basically all kind of stuff that I think any of us would assume. One thing I found interesting is that Amber bought like thousands and thousands of dollars of clothes for TV and then just like wouldn't wear them, wouldn't take the tags off. They would just sit in her closet. And as a returner, this upsets me. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I am like a hardcore returner. I literally have like $100 worth of stuff to return right now that I'm going to do today. Can't wait to do it. Uh, My mom raised me to be a returner uh, at Christmas and my family and my extended family, like you were always given receipts with things that you bought so that you could go and return them. In my opinion, like you were raised, I think it was at least like my mom raised me to think it was actually rude to like return, to not return a gift that you didn't like because it meant that you were like, basically like squandering the money and that it was much more polite to like go and return something you are given and get something you actually want. Like that's how we view returning. I buy a ton of stuff and return it. Nothing for me is ever bought until I wear it basically. I'm not like a person that returns stuff I've already worn and I'm not like a scammer returner at all. Although, like, with Ulta and Sephora, I will return used makeup if I genuinely don't like it. Um, On Audible, I actually have to physically stop myself from abusing their return because they'll let you return, like, finished books. Did you know that on Audible? I don't know if everybody knows this, but Audible's return policy is, like, bananas, and you can return fully finished books. (laughs) And I don't do that because, to me, that's unethical, but I don't really care if other people do it. That's a tip for you all. That's a scammer return tip for you all that you can buy books on Audible, listen to the entire thing and return it. Um, I don't do that, but I will. I return books on Audible all the time if I don't like them or I'm going to listen to half of it and get bored, etc. Uh, but yeah, I like to re- buy stuff and then I get home and I'm like, I don't really want this. So I return it. Like right now I have a bunch of stuff to return because I also, when I shop online, I almost always order everything in two sizes because I'm very much like an in-between size type person. And that's a pro tip for you shopping online. Just buy everything in two sizes and then return the one that doesn't fit or return both if they both don't fit. Um, So yeah, I'm like a major returner. I'm not sure how we... Oh, Amber. I was like, how did I get here? Amber bought thousands and thousands of dollars of clothes which she just let sit on the floor, which tracks for me. I would imagine um, she's quite impulsive. 
The other thing that stuck out was that I guess the day Amber got bailed out, uh, Rhonda was with her at the house Why Andrew had left so Amber could get some stuff because remember she hasn't been back to the house since then I'm assuming and she told Rhonda Amber told Rhonda to tell Andrew that he needed to lie about everything that happened or else Amber would go to prison for six years now do I think Amber's going to prison for six years absolutely 100% not I still am in the camp that I would be quite surprised if Amber does any prison time at all. Um, may, at least, like, not initially. Maybe she will kind of have a repeat of the past where she gets probation and then continuously fails drug tests and isn't able to stay out of uh, jail because she can't stay clean on probation. Like, that could be something that happens. Um, but I, I don't know. I just don't really think that Amber is going to get jail time. Like, I want everybody to kind of curb their expectations on what's going to happen. But I do believe that, like, the day after the arrest, Amber was thinking I could get six years (laughs) and said to Rhonda, apparently Rhonda reported this to the prosecution and the police when they asked her about it. So I guess they are aware that Amber was trying to get Andrew to lie. So who knows? I would like this, uh, process to go forward a little quicker with Amber either taking a plea deal or we find out she's going to go to court, which I find extremely unlikely that this will be taken to trial. The only way that this is going to go to trial is if the prosecution is playing extreme hardball and refuses to give her a like favorable plea deal, which is pretty unlikely. Something like 90% of court cases end in deals. It's just very, very rare that anybody goes to trial, and it's very risky that she would go to trial because she's facing multiple felonies, right? And it just seems crazy that she would risk that. I think most likely she will plead to a either a lowest-level felony that she's charged with. Um, She'll plead to a low-level felony and be ordered supervised probation, or the highest level misdemeanor and be ordered supervised probation. I would be pretty surprised if she sees jail time for this. Of course, though, she does have this basically same charge from 10 years ago, which could make the DA play a lot harder. There's also the public attention on this, which could make the DA play a lot harder. Or it could make them play softer because they kind of just want it to go away. You never really know like what public attention is going to do to the district attorney's office. But I'm also not sure how much weight they're going to give to the previous charge, considering it was a full 10 years ago. Um, That is a pretty significant time when it comes to criminal history, 10 years. And yeah, I'm just, I'm not sure what this outcome is going to be, but I do feel pretty sure that she will not go to trial and she will not get jail time. Um, I'm not sure how... MTV will respond if she pleads guilty to some sort of domestic assault. By the way, Ronnie from Teen Mom was arrested for, I don't mean to laugh, but Ronnie from Teen Mom, Ronnie from MTV's Jersey Shore, which as you all probably know, it's like back on the air, Jersey Shore family vacation, I believe they're calling it. I'm not keeping up beyond like, just like, you know, looking on the internet I'm not a Philistine. I keep up, but I'm not watching it. Um, but 
he was just arrested last night or the night before, I guess the night before, for holding his baby mom ex-girlfriend hostage with a knife. And got ta- He got tasered by the police. He and his baby mother, Jen, have like an extremely abusive relationship. I think throughout this relationship, they've both been arrested for domestic violence. MTV has not fired Ronnie yet. I don't really know what they're doing. I think they're in a much harder position when it comes to Ronnie than when it comes to Amber. I think Jersey Shore is still quite a profitable brand for them, believe it or not. Um, I would be interested in seeing them fire Ronnie. and I wonder if Sam would come back because as I would guess everybody knows, the reason that Sammy didn't come back was because she didn't want to be on the show with Ronnie, which I thought was... I mean, extremely commendable. They were paid a lot of fucking money for, like, two weeks of filming. And I can't imagine how hard it was to turn down that money. But I think it really, truly shows she's in a better place. I wonder if Sammy's sweetheart would go on, like, Real Housewives in New Jersey. She's a little young. But it would be interesting, right? Right. But, yeah, I think that's really it. That Rhonda said that she told the police that Amber asked and asked her to tell Andrew to lie. I think that that is pretty interesting. I wonder how that will come into play along with like, you know, the Instagram lives and stuff like that. Amber has been off social media since those crazy Instagram lives. I wonder if she agreed to maybe change her passwords. I like, I don't know. It's a lot of self-control that I, I'm surprised she's able to exhibit. Although she did after the arrest for like almost a month, she stayed offline and then she just could not help herself. And I'm curious to see if that will be the case again. I will say um, (laughs) my resolve to not cover new episodes is lessening. (laughs) I told you guys, like, my initial gut feeling was like, I don't know if I can watch Teen Mom OG anymore. And I still feel like I don't know. But my resolve is lessening, like, the further away from the anger that I get, which is, you know, a thing that I do. It's definitely a thing that I do. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm glad that I didn't make a 100% statement that I will not be covering Team Emoji. I'm just not sure what exactly I want to do. And I guess it will depend on what the episodes are like. I don't know. And it also depends on like if more stuff comes out and what my anger level is and As I've always said, this podcast is a labor of love for me and that I need to, like, I need to just do it in a way that makes it so I can do it, if that makes sense. Um, It makes it so it isn't, like, a complete chore for me and that I have fun doing it and that I like doing it. And if that means, like, not covering Team Mom OG because it makes me too upset or sad, that's what that means. But if I decide that I want to cover Team Mom OG, like, call me a hypocrite, whatever, but I might cover Team Mom OG. We'll see. I'm just, I don't know, guys. We'll see how I feel whenever the new season comes on. By the way, I don't know if we've talked about this, but Young and Pregnant is coming back in like two weeks. I'm fucking thrilled. I'm thrilled. Although I will say I'm a little pissed that they're going to do this when Team Mom 2 is on the air. I think it would make way more sense to bring back Young and Pregnant while OG is on the air. Because OG is a significantly worse show than Team Mom 2. Although, <laughs> Team Mom 2 is hurting. Honestly, at this point, like, cancel Team Mom 2, cancel Team Mom OG, and just give us Team Mom Young and Pregnant. Like, that's all I care about at this point. Oh, another thing. 
so many I have I talked about this I know I've talked about this on the podcast guys I'm not watching unexpected I'm never watching unexpected it's never getting talked about on this show I don't like I don't know how to get that across clearer like I'm just I'm not doing it I don't care to watch it I understand it's basically the same thing as teen mom and that's very similar to teen mom young and pregnant and so I would like it it's not that I'm saying I would not like it it's that I don't care to cover it on this show, basically. And it's already going to go into its fourth season. That means I would have to, like, start at season one and get into it. And I just, like, I don't, I'm not doing that. This show is Feathers in My Hair, which is about Teen Mom MTV only. I would, Princess Jones Curtis, mark my word on this, I would cover Teen Mum UK way before I'd covered, um, Unexpected. Yes, I know I've said a million times Teen Mum is not canon, but I don't know. Maybe we'll go down Teen Mom if I don't want to do a OG. Uh, I just, I'm not watching Unexpected. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Also, I'm not listening to Farah on Heather McDonald's podcast this week. It's just not a podcast that I particularly like. And I, okay, I don't, I've realized that I don't care that much about Farah. I really only care about Farah if she's doing something pretty pretty explosive. Like, remember that vlog I posted on my Instagram of hers, the clip where she was, like, blaming Sophia for bombing an audition? Like, that's funny. Like, I like a one-minute clip of Farrah being, like, fucking crazy, or if she has something, like, really crazy to say about Sophia, or she gets arrested. But in general, I'm just, like, I don't know what it is. I'm not that interested in Farrah and Farrah's universe that much anymore. I would like to see Farrah back on Team Mom, sure. <laughs> but I don't care about Farrah enough to listen to her on a podcast unless, like, she says something really wild and juicy. Like, yeah, sure, then I'll tune in. But for me, I think Farrah just gets repetitive, I guess is a way to describe it. Um, she, she just, like, it's just the same shit over and over again when it comes to Farrah and Unless she says something crazy on a podcast, like, I'm probably just not going to tune into a podcast that she's on unless it's already a podcast I listen to, if that makes sense. I had a lot of messages about that this week, so I just wanted to address that. Like, it's not me bashing another podcast or, like, refusing to listen. My care level is just pretty low when it comes to all things Farah because she hasn't, she doesn't do anything new. She just says the same stuff over and over again, although I do think it's interesting Recently, just one comment is Farrah's been calling herself a widow, <laughs> which is pretty fucked up. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I, it's just weird to call yourself a widow when you're not a widow. You know, it's just weird. And like, I'm not going to be grudge someone who like, if you're in a long term relationship and that person passes and you weren't married, but you were like life partners and you call yourself a widow, like, I will not begrudge you that at all. That's not for me to judge, but Farrah calling the death of her baby dad, who she was in a high school relationship with, like, calling herself a widow in that context is extremely disingenuous. It's, I would imagine, insulting to anybody that is actually a widow, but obviously I'm not a widow, so I don't want to speak to that. It just, a widow implies something. When you say widow, it has a meaning, And that meaning does not in any way apply to Farah. So especially, I don't, it would be even less crazy if she called herself a widow, like in season one of Teen Mom. 
Because at least then maybe she was a little bit. But it just, it doesn't seem to apply to her. It just seems crazy. It, it just, that's like typical crazy. I'm also wondering where Starburst is. I don't know if we've gotten a Starburst update in a long time. I would imagine Michael has Starburst. But if anybody has eyes on Starburst, please let me know. And I think that's it for, like, catching up on Teen Mom with Liz. Nothing else is really going on. We're thrilled for Teen Mom Young and Pregnant to come back. I guess I'll cover Teen Mom 2 and Teen Mom Young and Pregnant, which seems like a big commitment from me. But we will see what happens. Um, I'm excited for a new season. I'm excited for the two new girls. I'm Oh, Ashley, Shen, and Pastor T have been fighting like fucking crazy. Of course, what's new on Instagram? And for me, their fighting is, like, boring in a way. I will be interested to see it in the context of the TV show, but their Instagram fighting to me is quite boring because, one, it's hard to follow. Like, they're constantly not fighting, then they're fighting, then they're not fighting, then they're fighting. Um, So that, to me, is, like, a big, hard-to-follow mess. And it's also, like, the same fight over and over again, and it's, like, I just don't care about them fighting and fighting on Instagram, and Pastor T has been, like, going wild, wild, wild on Instagram, and I do think it's funny when people get mad at her, because she's a pastor and supposed to conduct herself as such, and I guess it's because not only am I not Christian, but I'm just not religious, that I don't care, and I think it's actually very funny when I see someone who's calls themselves pastor to see them curse people out, like, that actually makes me laugh, and that might make me a bad person, but I think Pastor T is quite funny. I think Shanna is quite funny. I think Ashley's quite funny. So all of their drama is, like, funny to me. And I guess that's why it's, like, not super entertaining for me to follow. Or, like, follow closely enough. Like, I'll look at it. I'll read it. But I don't really care to post it on my Instagram unless something crazy happens. Because it's just the same bullshit over and over again. And it's worth, like, a funny haha. But that's really all that needs to be said about it. Okay, let's get on to the new episode of the show that I'm calling Jade, which, as you all know, um, this was coined by Leslie and Joni. Shout out Leslie and Joni. But they always called Teen Mom 2 Janelle, and I thought that was so funny and it was so true, but, you know, R.I.P. Janelle. So this new show, Teen Mom 2, we're now calling Jade because Jade is a fucking star and the only reason to tune into Teen Mom 2 these days. Let's take a quick break and then we'll do it. Okay, where should we start? I will say, Brianna's, like, I was going to say her season, but that's not true because she started out with a bang. I think the issue with Brianna this season is that my John care level is so low. I've never really bought into them as a couple, I guess, Probably because he's, you know, they're doing a long-distance relationship, and long-distance relationships don't make for good TV. <laughs> like, that's just a fact. Like, there's nothing interesting about watching a girl, like, FaceTime. Oh, you guys know how I feel about that. But just in general, there's nothing interesting about Brianna's relationship with John. Um, The only interesting thing was when she got that direct message last week saying that he had another girl pregnant, and then she flew there, and I think... I think I would like to see Brianna with someone who has a really big personality. Now, would that actually work for her? I don't know. But I think she needs somebody to kind of 
pull her along, which is why we like Britney so much and why Britney's so entertaining on this TV show because she's such a big personality and she really speaks for Brianna in a lot of ways. And honestly, Roxanne as well. And it's probably why Brie's the way she is because her mom and her sister are the way that they are. But Brianna on her own is a real bummer. And John, unfortunately, doesn't really do anything to add much to it. Um, as I already, as I just said, John and Brie are broken up. I just don't care about him. Like when she flew to New York to confront him last week and he's like, no, it's not true. And she's like, okay, I just don't know if I trust you. It's like, that's it. <laughs> You're not going to get in his face and scream at him. <laughs> I don't know. So they go to the Dominican Republic. Um, they have a nice anniversary slash birthday trip. Brie wants to talk about next what what's next, basically saying, like, she wants this to be serious. She wants him to move to Florida. Um, one thing that I really did like Brie talking about was when it came to the girls, especially Nova, she want, I think, like, Brie's ideal world would be for John to move to Orlando. Obviously not now. In the past. Brie's ideal world would be for John to move to Orlando, get his own apartment, And maybe live there for a year and then they move in together. I thought it was very insightful of Brie to say, like, I don't want them to know that you're my boyfriend now, but also that we can't go from, like, you're just a friend to living together all at once. I thought that was good. I remember when she was going to move in with Lewis and, like, was going to bring Stella or Nova with her. God, thank God that didn't happen. Um, but yeah. Brie just isn't, I don't know. I think Brie just, I don't know why Brie would get into a long distance relationship in the first place, I guess is what I'm saying. It doesn't seem like she even likes John that much. (laughs) It's not like she doesn't like him, but there doesn't seem to be anything that's like really propelling her towards the future. I think that Brie, we also have to remember that Brie is still quite young. She's about 24, 25. I think that Brie isn't sure exactly what she's looking for when it comes to a boyfriend or a long-term partner. And I think she sees a guy like John who, as far as we know, I I mean, we haven't heard differently. He has a job. He doesn't have kids. He's nice. He's, he's a good guy. I think she sees that as like a good idea, but she doesn't, I don't think she totally knows what she really wants in a partner, which I think is fair. But I think when Brianna finds her match, she's going to look back at the Devons. What was that guy's name? Was his name Shaq? Shock? The one that, like, did her revenge porn. She's going to look back at him and John and Lewis and be like, oh, my God. Like, I had no fucking clue what I was even doing with those guys because it's so obvious that they were not a partner. I think Brie in general is just going to have a really hard time letting a guy be a full-time partner to her. I think she is somebody that needs to be in control. She, okay, I know a lot of people say, like, she'll never get into a relationship unless she moves out from her mom and her sister and that they're too codependent. And I do think that there is an issue of codependency there that can be quite bad. But... I don't want to say this negatively, even though it is kind of negative. I do think in a way that the relationship she has with her mom and her sister as them essentially being her co-parents in a way 
makes it harder for her to find a partner because she already has that side of her life like so secured up that she's very unwilling to open herself up and be vulnerable and let someone into that position. Um, so I don't think that she needs to like get rid of her mom and her sister, obviously, and she like literally wouldn't be able to live her life without them as a parent. So I'm not saying that, but I think she's going to have to learn how to be much more vulnerable when it comes to these men that she wants to be serious with. I think that Brie in general has a real problem with vulnerability. She's a real problem with letting people in. And I think that she feels so secure with her mom and her sister and the multi-generational family unit they have, which is really beautiful and strong. And I know they get called the coven and people hate them, but I, in general, don't. (laughs) I don't hate them. I think that they have negatives and I think they have positives. And I think one of the positives is that they are such a strong connection, but I think that can also hurt Brie as well because I think that she just isn't, she just won't put herself out there. And I think that's going to make it really hard for her to find somebody. Now, I wouldn't be saying, I'm not saying she has to find somebody, but I think Brie wants to find somebody where she wouldn't be with this strong guy for last year. But I think like what Brie needs is a man that lives in Florida, lives in Orlando, you know, has his own place, has his own life set up and can kind of show Brie and help Brie kind of live a little more independent life away from her family. And I'm not saying that she needs to like leave her family unit and not be part of them anymore and put up these super strict boundaries. But I think that she needs a man that can help her trust that there is a man that can be a partner to her. I think that she does not believe that it's possible for a man to be a full-time partner for her. I also think that she... Um, really believes that going super slow with John is the right thing to do. And I'm not saying she's wrong there, but I also think that she may be going too slow <laughs> with someone like John because, you know, you're like basically casually long distance dating this guy for a year and then some shit comes up like, are you pregnant? Do you have another woman pregnant? And you want to set, like, she even says it to Shirley, yeah, but now I like him. And I think that she kind of put herself in a pickle of a situation. I don't know if this makes sense, but it makes sense in my head. So you can let me know if this makes sense or not. But I think Brie put herself in this weird situation where she's been seeing this guy for a year, but not really talking about their future, not talking about commitment, not introducing her him to her kids as her boyfriend, not really giving him any chance of a future. And then it comes up that this DM situation and she does not have trust in him because they don't have a serious relationship. Like you're never going to fully trust someone that you're not in a serious relationship with. And at the same time, like you've put a year of your life and effort into seeing this guy and flying to New York and he's flying to see you and talking to him on the phone every day, I'm assuming, or texting all the time, but you're actually not being vulnerable with him. You're not letting him in. You two have not established a relationship that's like built in trust because you're not in a serious relationship. And then these situations come up and I think Brie kind of felt like completely lost as to what to do. And it's understandable because she's basically getting this very serious information about a guy who time length wise should, could 
be her serious boyfriend, but emotionally is really just the guy she's been seeing. But then she realizes, fuck, I've been talking to this guy for a year and I actually really like him, but now I'm in this position where I don't know if I can trust him because I haven't spent the last year working towards a future with him. And I do think that if you're, you know, in your mid-20s, you have children and your goal is to get married, then it makes sense that these guys you're dating, you should be a few months in, six months in, be like building towards something with them. And I think it's very clear that Brie is not building towards something with John. With At their one-year trip, she's like casually maybe asking kind of sort of wants him to move to Florida. It's like at a year, you should be already... Re- Look, I know I'm like really preaching from my pulpit here. I just think that she is setting herself up to be in this kind of situation where anybody can say anything to her about her relationship and really throw a rock into it. And that's because she has not established a serious relationship with this guy. And I think breaking up in the end is for the best because I think if at a year or more she isn't establishing a serious relationship with this guy, then she's not serious about him. But I hope that Bree's able to find someone and be vulnerable and let her guard down enough in the future that she can have a relationship like that. Because I think Brie is a good person. I think she's a caretaker. I think she's very sensitive. She's nice. She's beautiful. I mean, we all know that. She's very beautiful. And I think that she would be a good match for somebody. And I worry that she's really not setting herself up in a position to be a match for someone because she's just so guarded all the time. And that's that on Brie. I don't really have anything else to say about Brie and the situation. The situation, I mean, her episode this week. I just like that free flow talk about my opinions and what Brie should do with her dating life. <laughs> okay, so can we talk a little bit about Kale and last week first? What the fuck was that? Oh, my dog's barking. Well, let's hope she stopped now. What the fuck was that? And Chris and Kale and Chris saying he doesn't want Lux filming, but only sometimes in Kale's agreement with herself being that she won't film Lux if Chris knows that there's going to be filming, but if Chris doesn't know there's filming, then Lux can be filmed. (laughs) Oh, God, Chris and Kale are literally physically painful for me to watch. Like, I can't fully express to you guys how upsetting it is for me to watch Kale fawn over this guy who uses her so badly. Actually, when she was like, well, Chris said that he wanted to hang out with the boys, but there wasn't enough room in his car. So I was expecting her next line to be, so I'm letting him take my car. (laughs) I can't believe that that wasn't the next line. Um, she's like, why do the boys love Chris so much? It's like, because he's been this guy that's been coming around for four fucking years. What do you mean why the boys love Chris? Because he's like a fun guy that comes around every once in a while that they know you're obsessed with. It's so dark for me to watch. They, you know, broke up again. Broke up is a word that is not applicable to their situation. They stopped talking again. And... Then just this week, Kale posted a picture and Chris left a comment like, who took that with like the eye emoji? 
So those two are just never going to quit each other. Well, they will. Once Chris decides that he wants to quit Kale for good, then it will be over. But Kale is never going to quit Chris. She is never going to get into a new relationship while Chris is in the picture. It is impossible to meet or find a relationship with somebody new if you are that hung up on somebody. Like you just, there's not space in your heart for them. You're not putting it out in the universe that you're ready for a new person. It's just so dysfunctional. It's so fucked up how involved she has the boys in it. Oh, by the way, Javi was on screen last uh, episode. So fuck you, the Ashley. Just kidding. I, I like the Ashley. I know everybody else is like starting to hate her. But the Ashley did have this big thing that Javi was absolutely not filming for this season, but he was fucking mic'd up because we could clearly hear what he said and his face wasn't blurred. Also, Adam's face wasn't blurred, which was really surprising to me, although he was definitely not mic'd up. Um, Grandma Donna's face was blurred. I wonder if it's because they have his permission from before. I wonder how that works. If you're in film production, and by that I mean reality TV specifically, let a girl know, because I'm a little curious. But he obviously wasn't mic'd up because we didn't hear anything he said. So I would doubt he was paid for this episode. But I was so surprised that we saw his face. I can't remember the last time that we saw his face. Um, I know Chelsea gets mad that Adam goes to lunch and that he goes to the, the games. But I don't know. There's a lot to be said about if Adam should just stay away from good or if Adam should continue to be in and out of his life. And I know Kale tweeted something like, in the end, I'm so much, like, I'm in a much better position that my dad was totally out of my life than him coming in and out of my life. But I don't think that applies to Aubrey. I think that Adam now leaving forever would be devastating. And Adam, honestly, like, I don't know. I think if you spend the first five or six years of your life, like, with a pretty close connection with your dad, because if you go back and rewatch early seasons, like, Aubrey is around Adam a lot, even if it's not every day, even if he, you know, doesn't go to every single visit, like, he sees her a significant amount of time, enough for Aubrey to really love him. I can't imagine, I mean, I know it happens, and I'm sure there are a lot of listeners right now who are listening whose dad's piece out of the picture when they were 8, 9, 10, whatever. I remember my friend when we were like 14, her dad just like fucking disappeared. Like he just like stopped being part of her life and would like show up occasionally. And it was like devastating. I was like, I don't like we would talk about it. It It's like, I don't understand like where your dad went. Like he just had like a fucking midlife crisis and like left their family when we were, we must have been 14. I think, I think it was like, must, I think it was ninth grade. Um, and it was like, it was just devastating. It was awful. And I can't imagine that Adam just leaving for good right now in Aubrey's life would be better than him occasionally showing up for lunches in a softball game. I just, I personally don't see how that would benefit Aubrey more. But also I think it like greatly depends on the kid and like how their brain is wired. I also noticed that Chelsea told her friend in the last episode that they had had Aubrey in therapy in the past and then they phased it out and she's ready to start doing it again. But like, when was that? When the fuck was Aubrey in therapy? I have a specific memory of Chelsea telling uh, Dr. Drew that Aubrey was not in therapy and did not need therapy. And the way she said it, she's like, and then we phased it out. Makes it sound like Aubrey went for long enough that there was a phase out. 
Because, like, to phase something out, that means you've, you've been in therapy for a significant or at least, like, a substantial. Is there a difference between significant and substantial? I don't know. But you have to, like, be actively doing therapy to phase it out. Like, if you just go twice and then you don't go again, that's not a phase out. That's just you went twice and then you don't go again. So I was a little confused by that. I was wondering if anybody else caught that. Oh, my God. Why am I talking about... Weren't we talking about kale? Guys, I swear to God, I just, like, blacked back in and realized that I was not in a Chelsea segment. (laughs) I, like, stopped recording, went back. I was like, how did I get here? (laughs) And then I thought about editing that all and then putting that just in the Chelsea segment. But I'm going to leave this authentic, like total derailment that I just fully went into recapping Chelsea in the last episode in the middle of Kale's episode. Oh my god. Well, at least when we get to Chelsea's segment, <laughs> I won't need to go over that. That Wow, I think that's the first time that's happened to me that I like fully just like totally switch gears and like talking about an entire different mom and like literally forgot what I was talking about. Anyway, the way that I got here was that Kale, Javi filmed, Kale and Chris are a fucking mess, and I really think it's inappropriate the level to which she is exposing uh, Lincoln and Isaac to Chris and hers on and off again thing. You know, the boys are telling her she should marry Chris. It's, you would think that she kind of learned her lesson with Javi, but I think the... Most frustrating thing with Kale that we've talked about often and the reason that we so viscerally get angry at Kale is that she has never learned a lesson in her life, that she learns no lessons, which is very much shown in this episode, this week's episode. But Kale learns no lessons and she just has these boys like fully attached to this guy that has no interest in having any sort of future with her. It's so sad. Kale is so desperate for an intact family. She is so desperate for love. She really hates herself, I think. And it's just depressing as shit to watch her and Chris. Anyway, let's go to this week. Um, Kale, basically the Unseen Moments episode aired. And if you guys will remember, in the Unseen Moments, Kale talked about Javi coming to her hotel room at 6.30 a.m. to try to fuck. And surprise, Javi's mad about her saying that. I think I'm on Javi's side a little bit here. Okay. My theory, this is just my theory. I'm not saying this happened. This is my theory. Um, As we all know, Kale and Javi were kind of back together when he got with Lauren and got with Lauren pregnant, right? Or not, if not back together, they were talking again. They were talking about working stuff out. I also think that Kale and Javi probably have been having sex since shortly after the divorce. I would assume whenever she's off with Chris, she probably has sex with Javi. Um, I don't think Kale cares about uh, Javi's relationship boundaries, and I think that Javi is a fucking slime dog. And that goes hand in hand for people cheating, right? I'm not calling Kale a cheater because obviously she's not cheating on Chris and she's not in the relationship. But I don't think that what she does is appropriate because I think you should have respect for other people's relationships. So I think that Kale and Javi never really stopped hooking up 
once Ke- once Javi got Lauren pregnant. Like, I don't think that they were, I think that whenever Chris was around, she wouldn't hook up with him. But I don't think that she and Javi ever really were like, okay, well, we're not hooking up anymore. I would imagine it still is happening occasionally. I think the reason that he went to her room at 6.30 a.m. trying to fuck her is because they have sex and they regularly have sex. I don't think that Javi would just show up to Kale's room at 6.30 in the morning trying to have sex with her if they were not regularly having sex or there wasn't a reason that he thought he could have sex with her. He knows Kale is very bitter and vindictive. And if he was going to just randomly cheat on Lauren and this is the first time he's doing it, I don't think that he would go find Kale to do it. I think that he would... uh, Actually, I don't know. Maybe he would. But... I just think that this is like a pattern with them. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are times where, you know, Kale goes to Javi, he turns her down. Javi goes to Kale, she turns him down, just depending on their moods. Like, you know, maybe Chris was really fucking nice to Kale the night before. And so when Javi showed up that morning, she was like, no. And then maybe Javi was rude to her about it. And so she said, (laughs) feel free to be rude to me. And then decided to out him on TV. I think that's the real reason that Javi's pissed. Obviously, he's pissed because he's, like, embarrassed and Lauren is mad. But I think the main reason is kind of, like, you and I have a deal. Like, why are you now telling on me for something that we both participate in? I think that Javi is a real, real, real slimy, awful guy. Also, did you guys notice in last week's episode they were going to get uh, Lincoln his passport photo so he could get a new passport for Aruba. And Javi went to Aruba last weekend without bringing Lincoln. And Kale threw a fit on social media about it and was like, it's really shitty. Well, she said one thing about taking vacations without your kids is shitty. And it's like, okay, you take vacations without your kid all the time. But I think what she was trying to say and she followed it up with was like, hyping your kid up for a vacation and then not taking them is really shitty, which I agree. I have a feeling that they decided to try and turn the trip into maybe like a couple's trip. I don't really know the reason that Lincoln wasn't taken, but I mean, they talk about it on the show. Uh, Kale had posted text messages between her and Javi like a couple months ago where Javi is basically saying like, hey, this is your one month confirmation. I guess that's part of their custody agreement. Like this is your one month confirmation that I will be taking Lincoln to Aruba on these days. And she was like, okay. And she posted as like co-parenting brag because she's like mad at Joe at the moment or whatever is going on with her and Joe. So Lincoln didn't go to Aruba. But anyway, Kale bringing up on TV was shitty. Because to me, it's like you're you're not bringing that up, like, to hurt Javi. You're bringing it up to hurt Lauren. And I know, like, Lauren is a fucking idiot and she is making all of her own choices. And, like, she truly has made her bed and has to lie in it. But I don't really understand, like, how Kale... It just, it's like, Kale, your life isn't getting any better by, like, blowing shit up with Lauren and Javi. Like, that doesn't help you in any way. So, Kale and V go to get lunch or dinner together, and I also thought it was interesting that V was filming because, as I said, that Ashley said that Joe would not be filming, and Joe still hasn't filmed, I don't think, but V got her paycheck for this episode. I find Joe and V's relationship dynamic to be pretty interesting um, because we know Joe and Kale are not getting along, according to Kale, but... 
They Kale and V seem to have a relationship that's totally separate from uh V or from Joe and Kale. And I don't know if that's like totally appropriate. It seems weird, like, okay, Joe doesn't want to be on the show anymore. Joe's quitting the show, but like so then why is his wife still on the show? And being on the show, like, in a supportive role to Kale is, like, kind of weird to me. Although I guess this was filmed pre-Hawaii, and I think the Hawaii trip is why Joe ends up quitting the show. So I don't really know exactly what's going on. But I just find Kale and V's relationship a little confusing, because sometimes it feels like Joe and V don't have a united front. And V, not that she's choosing to be on Kale's side, but... Something about it just confuses me a little, I have to say. It's just a little confusing to me. But um, Kale and V talk about Lauren. And Kale says Lauren wanted to call V, but she wanted to do it through Javi. And Kale, or excuse me, Lauren wanted to call Kale, but she wanted to do it through Javi. And Kale doesn't want to talk to her. Surprise, surprise. And this is another thing that bothers me. Like, Kale, you just blew up this woman's relationship on national TV and then you refuse to talk about to her about it. Like, I don't know. That's lame. Like, she knew exactly what she was doing when she shared that with Leah, I guess, was sitting next to her. She knew that MTV would play it. Sorry, guys. My dog is losing her fucking mind at all times and I just played it black and I know you can hear it. And it's really frustrating because I was just really in a groove and then the dog started going insane so I had to pause it. Anyway, I just think it's lame. Kale knew... That MTV would play this clip. She knew it would blow up Lauren's relationship. And then she's like, well, I'm not going to talk to Lauren unless she directly talks to me. But I don't like she was trying to talk to her through hobby. I don't I didn't understand like what Kale was saying, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't understand the point Kale was making. But then they talk about Kale and V laugh about all the shit that Kale put V through. And ha ha ha. Isn't it funny? And it's like. Yeah, but now you're doing the literal exact same thing to Lauren. And don't you see that? And, like, V, whatever. I don't know. If V doesn't want to call her out, V doesn't want to call her out. I can't say I blame her for not wanting to be involved in that. <laughs> but, like, Kale, when Kale was like, no, the om- at the reunion that one year when Kale was like, the only issues V and I had were because of age. And now everything about Lauren, I just hate her. <laughs> like, it's just so silly, the things that Kale, like, decides will be totally unforgivable and the things that aren't. Um, I think the real reason that there's such an issue between Lauren and Kale is because Kale still fucks Javi occasionally. But apparently, at this point, Javi has told Kale that she's going to be proposing to her. And Kale's like, well, if she trusts him, then good for her. And V is like, that's insane. Like, I really can't, I can't imagine that. And... I agree with V. Like, it's crazy. I kind of forgot that this happened, this thing with V going to the hotel room. I'll be honest. So when they announced their engagement, I was just like, okay, well, pick number three, got engaged. Like, that's great. But, like, I forgot that, you know, not that long beforehand on television, Kale said that Javi tried to fuck her. <laughs> And they still got engaged. And that makes my sympathy for finding, you know, Javi with a woman in their own home, like, a little lower for Lauren. And she's staying with him. It's just crazy. She just made such a bad fucking choice with Javi. Like, Lauren made such a stupid decision. She's going to be paying for it for years and years and years and years. 
So she says that, you know, she just does it. She's like, well, I don't wish anything bad on her. And it's like, obviously you do because you talked about Javi trying to fuck you on TV. That's another thing that's so frustrating about Kale is that she's just one of the most disingenuous people ever. And what's especially frustrating is I don't think she realizes how disingenuous she is. But she is, and it's so fucking frustrating. Um, V made a funny joke about, like, she used to tell, Joe, get your baby mama up, or Joe, go get your baby mama before I fuck her up. <laughs> and, you know, it's good that they're happy. Uh, the boys have karate. We get a scene of the boys at karate, and Lux is, like, fully participating. It is so fucking cute. Lux is so funny looking. Like, I think he's so cute, and he looks like an old man. Like, it's like he has a full mustache. It's so funny. Oh, he's such a little cutie patootie. And that's when we find out, via Patrick, the producer, that Kale, or excuse me, that Javi and Lauren are engaged. And Kale, with a fucking Cheshire cat grin, similar to the one that Javi often rocks, is like, congratulations, he's been cheating on you the whole time you were pregnant. (laughs) Uh, And remember, guys, like, this is before the fucking in the house thing. Like, Kale's not wrong that he's been cheating on her. And I really think, though, that Kale meant with me and not some girl from CrossFit. (laughs) Oh, Kale, Kale, Kale. Never change. We see her moving into her McMansion next week, which, like, whoop-dee-doo. It's how I feel about almost any of Kale's accomplishments. (laughs) Whoop-dee-doo. Okay, Leah, I have nothing to say about this. I have nothing. I have nothing to say about this. Victoria is pregnant by the guy in Costa Rica. Okay. That's cool. I wish I had not waited to announce it on social media for our sake. Because this was quite anticlimactic. Um, it was kind of shocking to learn. That, I mean, I don't know why it was shocking because obviously she's pregnant, but she just like met some fucking tour guide and fucked him without a condom and or birth control is wild. Um, and Victoria's anxious about it and has to get an ultrasound. And we know in real time that she didn't miscarry. I don't know. Victoria, like this is like interest. It's objectively pretty interesting that she's like pregnant with this random guy also when she said we're having a costa rican baby i was like (laughs) okay (laughs) remember on girls the show girls in the last season spoiler spoiler alert when hannah gets pregnant um by rism that and the guy who plays that wow what am i trying to say the character of hannah gets pregnant and she gets pregnant by a guy who's played by the actor Riz Ahmed. Is that how you say his last name? Ahmed? Yeah, I think so. And he is Riz how you... I don't know if I've ever heard his last name or his name said out loud. I just always read it. But then in the last episode, she gives birth and Lena Dunham, like, cast a fully black baby to be her baby. I don't know why I just thought of this, but that was wild that she did that. Like, also, it's wild that I watched all the seasons of Girls but I did, and I'm not 100% sure why. But it's really wild that she casts an Egyptian guy, I believe he's Egyptian, to play the baby's father and then cast a black baby 
to be the child born to the two of them. That's wild. Girls was not a very good show. (laughs) It was just not a very good show, guys. (laughs) But yeah, that's all I have to say about Leah. Leah's had a boring-ass season. Honestly, kick Leah off this show and bring another young and pregnant girl or something. I really... And, like, so done with Leah's storyline. There's nothing interesting on it. Even Chelsea's more interesting than Leah. And I'm on record. I want to say that on record. That I find Chelsea to be more interesting than Leah. Because, I don't know, at least there's, like, stuff that we can dissect with Chelsea when it comes to, like, her and Cole and Adam. As, you know, I already discussed for five fucking minutes in this podcast by accident. But Leah is... There's nothing. Although, last week... Yeah, literally, guys, last week, her storyline was taking Addie to the doctor to get her lymph nodes checked out. Also, like, why was Jeremy wearing a full, like, button-up shirt and suit jacket to the doctor's office? (laughs) Did you guys notice that? (laughs) Like, what was that? And I really can't stand Leah being like, Jeremy and I are always good. We always get along and we always do what's best for Addie. Like, what kind of revisionist history bullshit is that? (sighs) Also, oh, I did have one thing I wanted to say. Um, Did anybody else notice, like, how high Victoria seemed in this episode and that she was, like, full-on slurring her words the entire episode? Or was that just me? Because, yeah, I think I've always saw Oreo, like, did drugs with Leah. There used to be scenes where the two of them were, like, zooped out of their skulls together. And I thought in this episode she seemed really slurry. She's like... I'm just not feeling good, and it just, I'm worried. It Like, not, like, in a sick, sad way, like, in a I'm high way. Let me know if you also think that Victoria slurs her words. Okay, let's talk about Chelsea. And it starts out, their offer is accepted on the land, which is exciting. And this is the big pride episode. Now, I would assume... But one should never assume. But I think back when we saw pictures of them going to Pride, I talked about it on my podcast. I know I talked about it on Reddit, and I think I probably talked about it on my Instagram, but I'm not sure if it made its way to the podcast. And as I've always said, I go into a fugue state when I record that as literally evidenced by me, like, blacking back in today while I was talking. But here's my thing. Do I think it's bad that Chelsea went to Pride and filmed it for MTV? No. I do not think it's bad. I'm not going to hate on Chelsea for going to Pride. Do I think that Chelsea's pretty ignorant? Yeah. Do I think that this was extremely self-serving? You betcha. Do I think that maybe in the end it's like good because it's good representation for gay people? Sure. But I think it's very much um, like a ta- it's very Taylor Swiftian where now we're supposed to like congratulate Taylor Swift for like being like I'm an ally And for, oh, okay, guys, let me not, like, go full in on, I hate Taylor Swift, by the way. Like, I I think some of her songs are fine and catchy, but, like, as a personality, I, like, really, really hate her. She's one of my, like, big hates, and I find her so hypocritical. I just, I find her to be a bad person, Um, and I find her new 2019 I'm political thing to be, like, ridiculous, And, you know, she gave an interview, Taylor Swift, we're still talking about Taylor Swift, where her best friend, Todrick Hall, asked her what she would do if she had a gay son. And 
recently. And that's when Taylor decided she needed to come out as an ally. And it's like, your best friend didn't know if you were an ally. (laughs) Your best friend was not sure about where you stood. Like, not just the general public, your best friend. That says a lot about you. But there's this big argument when it comes to Taylor Swift, like, that basically we're supposed to applaud her now for being political and for, like, saying Nazis are bad and for supporting gay people. And it's like, okay, but it's 2019. That's the literal bare minimum. You've kept your mouth sealed the fuck shut for the last 10 years that you've been public, including through the 2016 election, which I find pretty reprehensible. And now I'm supposed to applaud you for, like, just being, like, a basic, aware human in 2019? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. And that's kind of how I feel about Chelsea. And there's also this argument with Taylor Swift and now with Chelsea that it doesn't really matter that she took this long, but we should forgive her because she is bringing positive attention to these issues. And I think that is true. And nobody's going to deny that Taylor Swift speaking up for gay people or Taylor Swift speaking up for Democrats or whatever is a bad, like, that it's good. Like, nobody's going to deny that that help, like, having one of the most famous people in America, like, speak out about an issue is obviously a good thing, but from where I'm sitting, it's like, why should we congratulate somebody for doing the absolute bare minimum? And that's how I feel about Chelsea, and there is this argument that it's like, just because something is good and it brings attention to something doesn't mean that it needs to be applauded. Like, I saw somebody on Reddit say that Cole and Chelsea going to this march was a radical act. And, like, I'm sorry, but words have fucking meanings. (laughs) And it's not radical. Them going and putting it on TV was a good thing. It's not radical. It's not something to be applauded. Not all good things need to be applauded. We're not just supposed to be like, oh, my God, you're so amazing. (gasps) Oh, my God, Cole wore a rainbow flag onesie, which, by the way, it wasn't even the correct version of the rainbow flag, and it was still that fucking America bullshit that he cannot leave behind. But, like, to me, it's like, who? I don't know. I don't know. It just, first of all, pride is not your costume party, straight people. Like, it's just not, it's not this opportunity for you to, like, The idea is not a costume party, and I really feel like the more appropriate way for them to have done this would be to go to have fun and not, like, be such a spectacle. Like, I don't know, Cole wearing that rainbow flag onesie, it's like, for what? Like, is a rainbow flag, not like your American flag in some rainbow colors onesie, like, is that helping change anybody's mind on their views of gay people? Like, I don't think so. How much, my question is, like, how much does Chelsea in her day-to-day, like, try and break heteronormative, heteronormative uh, values? And, like, how often does she actually talk to her kids about acceptance? And how does she talk to her kids about white supremacy? And does she, like, have any sort of intersectional feminist views? And, I think all of those, the answer, all those is probably not a lot. And I'm, like I said, I feel like I'm rant, like ranting and this isn't really that comprehensible. And I'm sorry for that. But I just don't, I don't know. Where I stand on Chelsea going to Pride is like, I think it's good that she went. 
I think it's also, I thought the moment where Cole said only old people are homophobic and Chelsea corrected him and said it's everyone. There are a lot of people who are homophobic. I thought that was good. I thought it, the kids were cute. Aubrey looked like she had a really fun time. And I think that's all a net positive. And I also think it's like, it's nice to see one of these moms actually using their platform for something good. But it's hard not to feel that it's disingenuous from Chelsea, who had to stumble over the acronym, had to, she's still called being gay a lifestyle. And it just to me shows that like, this isn't something that's part of her day to day. And I'm not saying like every day she needs to be furthering the cause of gay rights. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe she should be. But I don't know. It just kind of, it just seems like the most easiest way to make a stand. And I think it's good that she's making a stand, but I'm not going to applaud her for the easiest way of making a stand, if that makes sense. Um, I did think it was interesting that she said Cole doesn't like to be in large groups with the kids because he's too overprotective. So I'm wondering how much uh, Cole's like maybe overprotective controlling nature feeds into Chelsea's anxiety. It was kind of a throwaway line. Um, And I do understand that they're also celebrities and that them being in a large crowd is different than me being in a large crowd, especially with a film crew in tow. And I think I would be a little nervous about having a film crew in tow in public places with my small children and just the attention that it naturally brings to you. But I did think in the overall context of Chelsea's anxiety that that was an interesting line and I didn't really see anybody talking about it so I just wanted to point that out so Chelsea asks Aubrey by the way who is this friend Tiffany I think they were friends in the early seasons but I don't remember seeing her like in the last 10 years and she's in two episodes in a row I think that was her name right Tiffany uh I guess she's replaced Brittany uh as a friend that's not Chelsea Grace that she can film with. So Chelsea asks Aubrey if Aubrey knows what pride is. Aubrey doesn't, but I don't think that's crazy to not know what pride is. And Chelsea says it's a celebration for the LGBTQ community. (laughs) Like, it's just very obvious that this is not something that Chelsea is well-versed in. And I wish that Chelsea would really educate herself on this and maybe a lot of other topics. Uh, Aubrey asks what the LGBTQ community is, which I, that one I was a little like, "Mm, I hope when my kids are nine, they know what the LGBTQ community is. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't really, obviously an acronym existed, but I don't, did we say it like that when I was eight? All I know is that from the age of like four, my mom was really into talking to me about being gay and that it was like, okay, if I was gay and she used to like, I have like very clear early memories of my mom saying that I could love anyone, boy or girl, black or white. It doesn't matter what they look like. You're allowed to be with anybody that you want to be with. It wasn't like she was shoving it down my throat, but any time we talked about the future or relationships or I would ask, like, who's with who or what kind of people go together, it was just always very made clear to me that I could have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I could have a husband or a wife. And, you know, this was in how I was born in 88. So this is like in 1994 that my mom is talking to me about this. 
So I wonder, you know, I just wonder how Chelsea talks to Aubrey, basically. And Chelsea says, you go to show your support because not everyone agrees with that lifestyle, which is silly. And this is something that it's like, Chelsea isn't being malicious when she says lifestyle. I I genuinely don't think Chelsea's homophobic. Like, I don't think that she is. I just don't think Chelsea is very up-to-date, very educated, very aware. And I don't think she understands that saying lifestyle is not the correct verbiage. And for anybody who's listening, it's not a lifestyle. Like, being who you are and being authentic to yourself and being in a relationship with a same-sex partner or not confirming to the gender assignment at birth is not a lifestyle. It's just being you. The same way that being straight is not a lifestyle or being like her and Cole are not living a lifestyle. And any of my listeners or friends who are in a relationship with a partner that is the same gender as them or who are non-binary or trans or whatever uh gender category they feel is most comfortable for them. Like, that's not a lifestyle. It's just who they are. And lifestyle is a very outdated term. And it it's rooted in a lot of homophobia because people would say, like, well, I just don't agree with that lifestyle. It's othering. It's very othering. Like, I saw a really good Reddit comment that was like, how is this my lifestyle? How are my wife and I living a lifestyle with our children when my life is probably way more normal than Chelsea's is normal, in quotes. And I thought that really summed it up. It's like, if you don't refer to straight people as a lifestyle, then don't refer to gay people as a lifestyle. Just don't. Like, the way that you say that is we're going to show our support that it doesn't matter. No. What? Let me phrase this correctly. In my opinion, what you would say to a kid is that we're going to show our support for all people, no matter who they are, what they believe, that we support their right to be themselves. And like I said, I don't think Chelsea's being malicious, but also like if I, I don't know. Also, I have a podcast where I critique everybody and go in depth in what they said. And so if I just watched this episode on my own and wasn't part of any sort of, you know, critiquing of the show, I would just go, uh, okay, but I have this podcast, so I'm going in on her a little And that's true about a lot of the stuff that I say on here, guys. Like, I have this platform and my job, it's funny to call it a job, is to expand on this shit. So I'm expanding and am I digging a little deeper, being more critical than the average listener, average viewer or average person would be like, yeah, of course. But that's the point because what's the point of listening to a podcast where I just recap line by line what happened? What's the fun in that? I don't think that's any fun. Um, so the pride looked fun. It was a good vibe. One thing I didn't like at the end of the episode is, oh, by the way, Chelsea Grace, her hair still confuses me a little, but she was there. She looked cute. She's obviously working hard on that bod. And I'm, I really wish that I thought maybe Chelsea Grace was coming out and that she was a lesbian or bi and they were going to support Chelsea Grace when I saw the pictures And that wasn't a storyline. So I don't know. Maybe that is what happened. Also, I laughed when Chelsea Grace was all the way in the back of the car because that's literally me riding with my best friend. I have to like sit in the very back of their van because every other seat is a car seat in there. So I like climb in through the trunk and I'm like (laughs) all the way in the back. uh, If both of them, if her and her husband are like driving with us. (laughs) Ah, so funny. So 
the thing that I didn't like was Cole, them, Chelsea, the Chelsea's being like, Cole, you were the best dressed person there. Oh my God, your costume was everything. It's like, no, you straight man who's taking no risks aren't the best person there, dress, best dressed person there. That's the thing, like... I don't know. It's like we're supposed to applaud Cole, but Cole isn't actually taking any risks because at the end of the day, Cole is still a straight, white, cis, extremely rich man. <laughs> Literally, Cole is like the most privileged person in the world. <laughs> so, ooh, he like made a comment on a controversial subject. Like, wow, incredible. I think that's good that he went and it's good that he felt like he could dress up and have fun. But like this praising of Cole of how fucking amazing he is for this, mm, miss me with it. Uh, I did think it was interesting that they said they saw people there that they were surprised to see there because they didn't think they would believe that. And I was wondering if they meant people that they actually knew or people that they just like we're judging a book by its cover. I would have liked to dive a little deeper into that. And that Chelsea says that she hopes people sees them and can be more open to it. And I think that Team Mom does have a decently conservative fan base um, because a lot of this country is decently conservative. Decently as in numbers-wise, not in how I view conservative beliefs. Um isn't it always funny when I talk about politics on here and then, like, randomly someone flips out? Like, when I talked about not caring about George Bush's funeral and someone left me, like, a nasty podcast review about it as <laughs> they were livid. Like, I'm always surprised what people are surprised about by my beliefs. By the way, if you've never given this podcast a review, please give me a five-star review. It'd be very nice to you. So I agree. I hope that people see this and they're more open to it and she has a positive impact on the conservative viewers of Teen Mom. But I also hope that people keep in mind that allies do not need to be praised for doing minimum effort stuff and that the people that we need to praise are the people of the oppressed groups that are working day in and day out to further their own rights and the rights of other oppressed groups. And I think that that should be the focus. And I like wish some like I don't know I don't know Chelsea has gay friends and I don't really understand why like at least one of her gay friends like even if it's just for a storyline like one of her gay friends couldn't go with them and they couldn't have like a talking point on why it's important for him that Chelsea accompanies him and like you know like give one minute of the platform to one of her gay friends like Landon who I believe she's still friends with to say, like, this is really important. I'm glad that you're doing this for X, Y, and Z reason. Okay, that's it for Chelsea. I hope that I was fair. I don't want this to be a total hate fest of Chelsea and her going to Pride. Um, I hope it was fair and balanced. If you feel like I was not harsh enough, which probably won't be the case because I don't think that's ever been something that anybody's ever said to me in my life then you can let me know on Instagram. If you felt like I was too harsh, you can let me know on Instagram. Yeah. Do you follow me on Instagram? Feathers underscore pod. If not, you should. Okay, let's go on to the star of this show. One, Jade. I think her last name is Klein. Jade Klein, girl, let's go. Jade is an icon as far as I'm concerned. I think she fits in great. People on Reddit said it seemed jarring to go to her scenes. Um, I feel the opposite. 
it felt exhilarating to go to her scenes. Like, pure exhilaration for me. I think she is great on camera. She's so aggressive. She's so crazy. Christy coming back. Remember how I called her mom Crystal for, like, the full season of Teen Mom Young and Pregnant? Well, her name is Christy. I was thrilled to see her. Jade's grandfather? (laughs) What? Was everybody else a little confused by that? I'm assuming maybe a step-grandfather. What if Jade's grandma, who we've seen, who's definitely, like, of grandmother age, although not that old, because I would assume Christy had Jade pretty young, but we've seen Jade's grandmother, and she looks like a grandmother. I wonder if she's, like, a young cougar husband. I guess a boy wouldn't be called a Maybe she's the cougar and she is the young husband. But I was like, excuse me, who is that? Um. Anyway, so Jade moved out of the house that she was living with Sean uh, and she went to stay with her cousin. They had a blowout fight when she went to pick up Chloe because she got there and she noticed all the trash in the house was taken out except in the kitchen it was overflowing. So she got kind of suspicious. She took out the trash in the kitchen and, like, threw it in the dumpster. I guess probably not a dumpster because they lived in, like, a little house. So probably, like, the trash cans. And she saw another bag of trash. I don't know. Basically, Jade, like, went diving in the trash and found some empty condom wrappers and residue that looked like either meth or dope. Well, she said dope, like meth or heroin. Um, Some places in the Midwest I know they call meth dope. In the Northeast, you would never call meth dope. Dope always means heroin unless you're an old person it means pot but finally we're saying the drugs that sean uses i guess he does use both meth and heroin i maybe he uses them together also that's not that surprising to me that he would use an upper as well because we know he likes to stay up for very long periods of time to play video games um she like walked into the house threw the trash right at him he said that he was using the condoms to jerk off in which seems expensive (laughs) Seems like an expensive way to jerk off because condoms are not that cheap. Um, But basically, Jade is sure that he is using drugs and having sex with other people, which Jade is so painful to watch with Sean because she's just like actively making bad decision after bad decision when it comes to him. And she can't seem to quit him. And it's just, I don't know, it's very relatable to me. Like, I very much have been Jade. And thank God I didn't have a baby in this situation. I actually had a supportive and stable family. Although I will say, considering, like, how fucked up Jade's mom is, she actually has quite a strong support network. Like, in that episode where they moved, she had, like, five or six people over. She always has a cousin that she can crash with. She has step-siblings, I guess. Um, Her grandma, her aunt, her grandfather. It does seem like there are a lot of people in her corner, which is good, as opposed to someone like Kale, who has, like, a revolving door of people. It seems like Jade, surprisingly, considering the family that she was raised in, her nuclear family, has a pretty supportive extended family, because I'm seeing the same faces. So, um... Jade and John. Sean and Jade are broken up, and... Jade wants to go get her stuff out of the house, but Sean is basically not letting her come in to get her stuff, which is fucked up. And Christy comes over, which, okay. 
This made me sad because Jade said, I'm happy she's here to help because she ha- we haven't really been in touch lately. And why would you invite your crackhead mom over to, like, a very tense situation? Like, in what ways does Chrissy, Christy, like, help this situation? As we see, she escalates things like crazy. But, like, how could you not know she was going to escalate things like crazy? Is she really going to be that helpful in moving stuff out? Like, why don't you just have your grandfather and your friends help you? You know, the grandfather rolled up with his big-ass truck. Like, I just don't know why Christy was needed in this situation. And it kind of broke my heart when I realized she was there because I was like, oh, God. Jade knows that Christy won't help in a situation like this, but is still happy she's there. And remember, she records these voiceovers after the fact. So I don't know if MTV told her to say that, but it's just not, it's not great. There was no way that Christy was going to add anything positive to this situation. And basically, there is big drama because Jade owns a gun, which, mm, in general, that makes me nervous. I'm not really a handgun fan. Surprise, I'm not a gun fan. And the idea of Jade and Sean, who both seem extremely impulsive, violent, and abusive towards one another, that they have a gun in the home, regardless of, you know, the drugs or, like, locking yourself in a house, whatever. Um, it seems very, bleh, bleh. Like, the the chances of a death in domestic violence go way, 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 way up when there's a gun involved. Same reason it's scary that David has guns and Janelle has guns. It's scary that Sean and Jade have guns just because they seem so impulsive to me. So, basically, Sean will not let Jade in the house. So, Jade calls 911 and basically says, like, my ex-boyfriend has locked himself in my house, he has a gun, he won't let me in, and he's scared. Now, okay, do I think that that was the right thing for Jade to say to 911? I don't know. I don't think it was a very truthful, like, I don't know. I don't think Jade was genuinely worried that Sean was going to do anything with the gun. I think she had an understanding that if she mentioned the gun, the police were going to show up and she wanted to get into the house. Now, here's where I think the 911 dispatcher and the cops fucked up. I think that that 911 dispatcher should have immediately told Jade that, like, should have kind of followed up um, and... Or the cops, when they first got there, um, and explained at that time that she needed a civil sheriff, like a civil order from the sheriffs or whatever, the civil assist from the sheriffs, I guess is probably what it's called, to come and help her get her stuff out. For people who don't know, if you are in a dis- like domestic dispute situation in which... Um, like, you need assistance getting stuff out of your house, usually you can call the sheriff's office and they will basically send someone out who will, like, go with you into the house, take all the time you need, and leave. That's not an emergency situation and it's not a 911 situation. However, I don't think most people know that. I don't think Jade knows that. I think she needed someone to tell her that. And I think that the police and the 911 dispatcher 
didn't really do a good job explaining that like if your goal is to get the stuff out of your house, then what you need to do right now is call the sheriffs. Like I think that when the cop first came up to her and basically explained like, well, we can't get the gun because this is civil. Um, I don't know. I just don't think the cops did a good job with her expectations. I think immediately the cop should have said to her like, look, we can escort you in for 15 minutes, like, from the jump. Um, They could say, like, as long as there's no, like, actual threat from the gun. Because also, like, cops don't really know what they're walking into. From what I learned in college, cops hate domestic calls because they have no idea what they're walking into. They have no, especially when they hear there's a gun involved. They don't know if they're, like, walking into someone holding like, barricading a home and essentially holding the home hostage, or if it's just, like, two people are in a fight and they call the cops. And it's essentially nothing, which is kind of what this situation is. So I think the cops were already, like, guarded. Um, I think they were not pleased to see MTV there at all. Um, Cops hate being filmed unless it's by cops or live PD. And they were not pleased to see MTV there and to be kind of put in a spot where their policing was going to be on camera. And I think that they should have clearly explained to her from the time that they were talking to her in the car, because it was very obvious that she was mostly concerned with getting her stuff out of the house, that what she needed to do right now was call civil sheriff. She might not be able to get it today, but she can make the appointment today. She can, you know, leave a message for them. They'll be able to call her back. Basically, just taking five to ten minutes to, like, talk to Jade about her expectations for what was going to happen. Now, is that necessarily a cop's job? I guess not. Like, I guess it's not necessarily their job. But as a police officer and you're dealing with someone who's obviously very upset, they're in an abusive situation, a clearly an abusive situation, whether she's the abuser, he's the abuser, they don't know exactly what's going on, but clearly this is a toxic situation if guns are involved, if the police are involved, and I think they could have just taken the time to explain that she would not be able to move all of her stuff out of the house that day. She can go in and get some clothes, her medicine, some food, and that's it, but until, you know, the sheriff is there, They can't do anything. And I think that if they did that, everything would have went a lot smoother. I think that the cops taking the key to the house, going in, and then letting Jade come in, seeing that she flipped out, and then kind of ramping it up when they saw Jade was flipped out, I think they they were not de-escalating the situation. I think... Obviously, in a situation like that, the police officer's job should be de-escalation and that a well-trained police officer in domestic violence from the jump would be doing whatever they could to, you know, to, so the person would just have realistic, realistic expectations so they don't get in there and flip out. Now, Christy made it a hundred times worse and I'm not denying that, but basically they meet with the police officers The police officers uh, go into the house using Jade's key, and Sean basically runs upstairs as soon as the police get there, which is pretty funny, I think. And the cop is like, okay, well, we can't take the gun because we don't really have proof that you own it. 
And she's like, but it's mine. And this is what I mean. I just don't think anybody did a good job explaining to Jade what was going on. And I think that that just made a confusing and bad situation for everyone involved. And the fact is that the cops have more knowledge about what these situations entail than Jade does. She's a 22-year-old idiot. Like, she doesn't know. And the cops do know. And they should have just explained it to her outright. So... The cop is like, well, do you need anything else? And the cops, her family's like, yeah, I have all my family here to move my stuff. (laughs) Oh, such a mess, such a mess. And then Christy is like, well, I just want to make sure that we didn't get shot when we tried to go in there. And it's like, I don't really think that that was like that true. Um, Police... Like, when they go in the house, they told everyone to wait by the curb, and then they all follow the cops into the house. I just think it was, like, a bad situation all around. Nobody's really listening to each other. Jade, all of a sudden, we're not in the house with her, but obviously we can hear. Jade starts, like, hyperventilating and then passes out. Um, Do I think she really passed out? Probably. Do I think she was maybe amping it up a little bit because she could tell the cops were not agreeing with what she was saying? Possibly. Um, I think Jade has some real issues. It's uh, it's just so sad. It's really sad to watch. Really sad to watch. Christy starts yelling, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> it's just such a mess. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this girl. Like, this is iconic, guys. Jade has police coming with her into the house, into her house because her ex is barricading himself, maybe with a gun. She, the cops are being assholes. She passes out. Her crackhead mom is screaming on the top of her lungs. Like, chef kiss. You cannot write a better team mom to scene. That was everything. So, the, Jade goes outside, obviously. Her grandfather is there. The producer is talking to her. And Jade is, like, so mad. The cops tell the people that are still inside, like, we cannot wait around all day. Like, it's not our job to wait around all day. This isn't an emergency. And you guys have to leave here in five minutes. Like, everybody has to leave. You cannot stand here all day. I guess my question is, like, why couldn't the cops just leave and they just stay there? Um, Because it is Jade's house and she's allowed to be there. Like, the uh, the emergency or whatever is over. Jade is, or Sean isn't trying to shoot them. I don't really, like, Jade has the right to be there. She didn't move out. I don't know why they didn't just, like fucking drive away with the cops and then return and move the rest of her stuff out. I mean, Jade had fucking 10 people with her. Like, like seriously, she had almost 10 people with her. Like, why didn't they just go inside the house? Um, Sean starts screaming at this point from upstairs. Don't take my fucking stuff. Because, like, they're taking the couch out of the house. The cop is like, this is an emergency stuff. Basically, everything just spun out of control really, really quickly. Once again, the cops are telling her that she needs a civil sheriff. Thank God her grandfather was there, the 22-year-old grandfather, because um, I thought he did a really good job of basically shutting down the situation and be like, we are leaving now. We will get the civil sheriff to come and we will get the rest of our stuff. I thought that he was really uh, reassuring, calm, but also very authoritative. And we know Chrissy wasn't going to leave and Jade and her friends are kind of messes. So I thought it was good that at least one adult was like, it's okay. We do not need to get the rest of your stuff today. Um, Like I said, Chrissy being there just like hyped it up. She starts screaming about how she fucking hates cops, which is incredible to see. She then screams that Sean doesn't pay taxes, but Jade does, implying like Jade pays the police salary, which 
is just so funny. It's just so funny to scream like, fuck the police, I pay your salary. It's like, that's never going to help you. (laughs) And it's just a fucking mess. If you don't watch Teen Mom anymore, which like, God bless you, wish I could too. I would definitely suggest getting your hands on this final scene and watching from when Jade meets the cops. Like, just fast forward and only watch Jade segments and just watch this because when Sean is screaming, the cops are trying to shut down the situation. Jade is screaming. Christy's screaming. It's just an incredible teen mom moment. It was really exhilarating. Christy's screaming, fuck you, Sean, fuck you, you fucking pussy, shut the fuck up. The cop is so pissed. Jade is screaming, why are these fucking cops protecting a drug addict? Jade is like, I don't understand why I need to leave my house. (laughs) It was so good. And Jade ends up driving away. And I'm like, should she be driving? She just passed out. (laughs) The whole thing was incredible. I'm so thrilled for Jade being on board. Give me more Jade. Give me more Sean. Give me way more Christy. Oh my God. Give me way, way, way more Christy. Christy was, bringing Christy there was just so fucking stupid. Even if there were no cops involved, like, you know, she's going to come after Sean. I think that's really why Jade wanted her there because she wanted Christy to yell at Sean. And then like, she would get the satisfaction of Sean being yelled at, but she wouldn't necessarily have to participate in it. It's so good. Ugh, that's it for this week. I will talk to you guys next week. Have a good week. Bye! This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards www.patreon.com slash ebpsychos